from the third chapter of St. John, the 16th verse, a verse that you know well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is our text. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our dear friends, for God so loved the world. That's a phenomenal phrase. It's a phenomenal phrase. It's one that perhaps all too often escapes its rightful appreciation and its due regard. When we think of the world, maybe we're accustomed to think of it in the very affectionate way that famed jazz musician of old Louis Armstrong did think of it. You remember Louis Armstrong with his signature gravelly, rich voice, singing about this place in which we live with those words that are very familiar to us. I see trees of green, he sings, and red roses too, and I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And it's an enchanting song. It's a favorite song of many of us, mine, one of my favorites. An enchanting song, a favorite that can bring back a lot of the memories as it draws on many of those truly wonderful things that there are in this world of ours. But when we think of the world and consider the world in its fullness, not just those skies of blue and the clouds of white and the red roses too, but when we think of the world and consider the many facets of this world in which we live, it's not too much to conclude that this world can be quite a rotten place. The top stories of the nightly news broadcasts and the headlines from recent newspapers and your online news sources, they all bear regular testimony concerning the way of this world. Consider not long ago in Newark, New Jersey, three teenagers, three friends had been enjoying music in a car at a local school parking lot and they were forced at gunpoint out of the car and lined up against the wall of the elementary school and shot execution style. And not long ago, the world recoiled at yet another slaying of a prominent world figure. This time it was the former Prime Minister of India, Benazir Bhutto. Not so very long ago, an Indiana homeless man pled guilty to murdering four men, and he did it over a space heater. A West Palm Beach, Florida woman approached her boyfriend as he slept, and she doused him with scalding water. A 31-year-old man in Oregon was convicted for posing as a teenage boy dying of leukemia in order that he might sexually coerce young girls, a Connecticut man stabbed his neighbor to death because he was told that his neighbor had molested his two-year-old daughter. Well, the allegations weren't true. It's not yet been a year, has it, since a disturbed young man showed up on the campus of Virginia Tech, fully armed, and indiscriminately ended the lives of 32 students there. It's not yet been four days. Since that same sort of Virginia textile shooting happened on the campus of Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois. In Ventura, in Ventura County in California, about a week ago or so, an eighth grade boy went to school one day, 
and he shot in the head a classmate because they didn't get along. A 19-year-old college girl was kidnapped about a month ago, and just Friday her body turned up in a Reno, Nevada field, and yesterday was identified as this missing woman. A few days ago on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, a psychotherapist was found brutally murdered in her office. Reportedly, the gruesome crime involved a meat cleaver. In yesterday's news reports to us a video recently released by Al-Qaeda in which they boast about the fact that they've burned alive several of their prisoners. My friends, when we think to ourselves about this world of ours, we can't help but conclude that there's a lot in it that's far less than wonderful. And the things that I've just recounted to you, the things that you've just heard, they're only the things that have been detailed on the television and in the newspapers and on the online news source headlines. What if those secret sins of our own private lives were to be publicly displayed in the same way? What do you think the headlines would read then? You know them, the, the illicit affairs of the heart, the jealousy and the envy that tends to fester deep within the ingratitude that we have for the things that we have received and the grumbling that we harbor inside for those things that we haven't, the disposition of self-centeredness that naturally tends to the needs of number one before anyone else, do you think these undisclosed deeds of ours add any beauty and any wonder to this world? I think not. You know not. Surely there is beauty in this world, but it's not because of us. In fact, it's despite us. And it goes straight back to the human heart. Of old, in the book of Genesis, our Lord tells us that even from the time of our youth, man's heart is inclined toward evil. And so it certainly doesn't surprise us that we hear our Lord say in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, that from the heart proceed all of these things I just recounted, the murders and the thefts and the adulteries and the fornications and corruption of all kind. It's from the heart. In fact, man and his sin is so intricately tied to this world in which we live that in the New Testament, the Greek word for world, cosmos, the Greek word there, cosmos, for world is so often used as a term of collective natural man and his sin together. That's exactly the way Christ himself uses it when he speaks of the world in this particular passage and he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The problem with the world isn't its scenery. The problem with the world is mankind. Not the scenery, not the skies of blue and the clouds of white and all of those things. Those things are indeed wonderful. The problem with the world is mankind and particularly the sin of mankind. Where would make this place far less than wonderful? We. We would make this place the mess that it is. With this in mind, think again 
of what Christ said to us today. God so loved the world. The world. That's you. And that's me. And that's us. Despite the less than lovely inclinations of the heart. That's us, even despite the magnitude and the gravity of our public and even our private sins. God loved the world. The compassion in that sentence is far deeper and infinitely richer than we could possibly comprehend in a hundred lifetimes. God loved the world. But you know what should give us yet more reason to pause and reflect is the manner in which God so loved us. While he certainly would have been well within his right, in fact still quite generous in doing so, he didn't merely lend us heavenly aid on loan. He didn't supply it in exchange for services or goods rendered. No, what does he tell us? God loved the world so that he gave it. And it was the very best that he had to give. His only begotten son. Now parents, grandparents, all of us think about that for a minute. How willing would you be to give up your own dear child for a loved one? Hesitation, I'm sure. And that's for a loved one. Now how willing would you be to give up your own for those who do you wrong? Constantly do you wrong. How willing would you be to offer over the life and the health of your pride and joy for those who have little, in fact those who have no regard for you? You ask the mother of that 19-year-old girl who was kidnapped and murdered and whose body turned up here just the other day. You ask her if she'd be ready to give up the life of another one of her children for, for the one who stole her first. You ask the father of any one of those teenage kids who were murdered execution style in that elementary school parking lot. You ask him if he'd be willing to send another one of his sons to replace the son's killer if he, that killer should get the sentence of death. Ask him if he'd send his son to sit in his place on death row, and would that son go? Can you imagine? And yet God sent his son for the likes of you and me. Scripture tells us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. In utter bewilderment, Martin Luther makes this comment. He says, if it would be said that, that he had loved the angels, well, that would still be a glorious, noble creature that's worth loving. But what's here in the world, that's something else. A great heap of the kind of people who do not fear, who do not trust or love God. They do not thank or praise Him. They misuse all of His creation. And they blaspheme His name and they despise His word. They are disobedient and murderers, adulterers, thieves and knaves. And liars and gossipers. 
And yet he loves us. He loves us enough to give. Literally in the Greek it's to freely hand over. He loves us enough to give his own dear son. And not for who we are. Because of who he is. Some time ago a young pastor happened to be standing with a, an older member of his looking over a table of rummage sale items that were all laid out there. Not just a table, a whole room full of them. And looking over these, they were, they were looking at these, they had been priced according to their estimated value. And looking over them, the older member said to the younger pastor something that at the time seemed rather plain and ordinary, but as the younger pastor thought on it a bit, was rather a profound statement. Looking over these things, the, the older man said to the younger pastor, he said, Pastor, it sure is good that we don't have to buy our forgiveness. And he's right. He's right. It sure is good that we don't have to live life day in and, and day out in frightened uncertainty how we could possibly come up with enough right to pay the debt of all of our wrongs. Recall his word, friend, the gift is given. For God loved the world so that he gave it. Lifted high upon a cross, Jesus Christ settled the entirety of the world's balance. He left no sin of yours or mine unaccounted for, but as St. Paul puts it, he says, canceling the record of debt that stood against us. With all of its legal demands, he set the debt aside, nailing it to the cross. Where then is the guilt of our ingratitude? It's fixed to the cross. Where is the sin of your selfishness? It was placed upon him and there nailed to the cross. Where is the debt before God of the murderer and the pedophile? And the kidnapper and the terrorist assassin or the latest school shooter, the secret sinner, that was paid price in full. That was paid price in full by God's only begotten Son on Calvary's cross. And to, to him who thinks on all of these sins too lightly, and at the same time to him who thinks his sin too great to be forgiven, listen to St. Peter, because Peter puts all the sin on him in whom all sins have been dealt with. And he says, he himself bore our sins, and that's what it took. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. For by his stripes you are healed. You know, I think it's for this very reason, I'm convinced it's for this very reason, so that none of us would ever wonder, both leaving today and any day in life, so that none of us would ever wonder whether I too am included. For this reason, I'm convinced that our Lord finishes this phenomenal statement he makes with these words. He says, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The 17th century Englishman Richard Baxter loved that word, whosoever. 
He once noted just how dear that single word whosoever was to him. He wrote this. He said, I thank God for that word whosoever. If God had said there was mercy for Richard Baxter, I'm so vile a sinner that I would have thought he meant some other Richard Baxter. But when he says whosoever, I know that includes me. The worst of all Richard Baxter's. Whosoever you are, know that it includes you. And you know how all of this is made yours personally? How personally you're included in this? God holds it up before you today. That's how he applies it to you. He holds it up before you today just as Moses did that serpent in the wilderness. God today holds up Christ on the pole of his cross lifted up before your eyes in his word today. Like that serpent on the post, his word projects that saving message to you and works faith within you. And then trusting upon it, you gaze back trustingly upon that word which reflects to you Christ and him crucified. And he's begun that faith in you like like he will this morning. In the 11 o'clock service this morning in the life of little Kyle Michael Dykes, there he will be baptized. Just as you once were baptized, born of water in the Spirit, faith created in that baptism, the soul's everlasting life begun there and for eternity in that baptism. And right here, you receive. You receive the body and the blood of the only begotten Son in that holy begotten meal. That holy begotten supper of God. And in it he sustains that saving faith in you. And he strengthens you to live life in this world. Such as it is. Until he graciously then delivers you out of it. It's in these things that we behold Christ lifted up. Before our eyes of faith. Lifted up. Working faith. So that the whosoever can believe in Him and have eternal life. The phrase is phenomenal. It outwonders all the wonders of this world. And through God's means of His grace, He's made its promise yours. Yours personally. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him, mark His words, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.